Shoot it off. Shoot with a gun. That's what the bullets are for, you twit. Okay. I'm going to get your money for you. But if you don't get the President of the United States on that phone, you know what's going to happen to you? What? You're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. Testing so. No, don't yell things in German. We are ready to, we begin, are ready to begin the, the podcast. Very Hi, everybody. Hello, everyone. <laughs> mm. So, <laughs> today we watched number 39 on our list. Welcome right? to episode 3065. Oh, numbers! Numbers! Already. I went. I, I actually listened to one of our episodes. I listened to the Bonnie and Clyde episode this weekend. Last weekend, when we were going on vacation. Like we were driving up. I could not do numbers in the episode to save my life. It'll be. It'll be the day before, day after, day after <laughs> the seventy fifth, eighty fifth, eighty fifth anniversary. That's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, I yeah, forgot. I'm smart. Yeah. So today Hello. we watched. Dr. Strange Love, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb from 1964. Mm-hmm. It's an hour and 35 minutes. It's, it's really a short movie. comedy slash war film. It has an 8.5 out of 10, a 96 Metascore mm-hmm. on 11 critic reviews. And uh, Roger Ebert gave it a 4 out of 4 okay. star. Directed by Stanley Kubrick. Written by Stanley Kubrick, Terry Southern, Peter George, and Peter George actually wrote the book it's based on called yes. Red Alert. Which is a serious book, by the way. And, yeah, it's actually on IMDb's top 250, it's number 43. And then... This it, is going to be a short episode, yeah. kind of. Not yeah. because we didn't like the movie, but you'll find out why when we get through <laughs> our stuff. And then we're just like, okay, so the end. So in, in 10 minutes, when we are finished... Oh, sorry, starring, through, starring. Yes, who does this movie star? Peter Sellers. George C. Scott, Sterling Hayden, Keenan Wynn, Slim Pickens, Peter Bull, and James Earl Jones, and Tracy Reed. Now, Peter Sellers, for those of you who may not know, played the original Pink Panther back in the day. That series of films, he played the original uh, Inspector Clouseau. Sorry, he didn't play Pink Panther. He played in the Pink Panther yes. movies as the original Inspector Clouseau. Isn't the Pink Panther a diamond? Um, was it Diamond or was it a Thief? Actually, I think it was a Diamond. Okay. Oh, God, please do not make me say that. And now I'm going to be completely wrong and people are going to be yelling. No, I'm going to look. I'm going to look. People you, are going to be like, can, what the hell? Why continue. are you doing stuff? I'll look. You continue. Um, George C. Scott, better known from Patton, probably would be the movie that most people know him as, which it's hard to watch him in this movie because... The Thief is called The Phantom. Okay. It is the it King is, Panther is the Diamond. Is the Diamond. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was the Diamond or if it was the Thief. That's what I couldn't remember. Um... Oh, it's going to be on TMC on Monday, June 9th at 2.30 p.m. Which one? The Pink Panther? Yeah. <laughs> it pops up at the top of IMDb. Um, no, uh, it's weird to watch George C. Scott in this film because I'm so used to him as Patton that he yeah. plays a very comedic, over-the-top, stereotypical, like, war general. I have a fun general. fact about that. It's just so weird to see him doing this. And yes, of course, James Earl Jones is one of the is one of the pilots. He plays yep. Lieutenant Lothar Zog, who is um, James Earl Jones, obviously, the voice of Darth Vader. Yes, he's also in Coming to America. Yes. I I love it. Those are the two films that you... <laughs> that's the film that you picked out. <laughs> not the I just purple. watched it for the first time not okay. that long ago. And it's on Netflix Conan. right now. So many movies that James Earl yes. has done. The diamond is called the Pink Panther because of the flaw at its center when viewed closely said to resemble a leaping Pink Panther. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, now um, that we got that straightened out, so the at repl- sorry to quote Pete Holmes, <laughs> here come the at replies. Um, did you read off the summary? No. You should read off the summary of what the film is. Yeah. Okay. And then not be drunk. I'm not. <laughs> An insane Yet. general triggers a path to nuclear holocaust that a war room full of politicians and generals frantically try to stop. Good summary. Yep. General, general, oh, sorry, Brigade General Jack D. Ripper. I love the names Jack in this Ripper. movie. I love the names in this movie. Bat Guano. Yeah. Um, the uh, Slim Pickens plays uh, Major King Kong. Yep. I love that. I just, I loved all the names that they gave. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. <laughs> it's a good line. Uh, what is, uh, what is, what is, uh, what is, what is your thought? I liked it. I went into it with kind of a negative mindset, to be 100% honest with you, because it is Stanley Kubrick, and yeah. the only other Stanley Kubrick movie I like is, is the, the Shining, Shining, which is based on a book. Yes. But so was, as I pointed out when we were talking about this earlier, Clockwork Oranges as well. Right. But... It's, it's, I liked the movie. This was the first time I've seen it since high school. This is the first time I've ever seen it. And truthfully, and as we talked, we talked about this off mic, when I watched it in high school, I was not under the impression that it was a comedy. Yes. I was under the impression that it was an actual serious 1960s And as Colin said to me, he said, if you go into it thinking it's a, was it Colin who said there was a Karen? Karen. Oh, sorry, Karen. I, I I talked to Colin on the phone about it earlier today. Karen said that if you go into it, not remembering that it's a comedy. It's like the most depressing movie ever made. Yeah. If you remember that it, if you, if you watch this thinking, okay, this is obviously a spoof. You're supposed to, not a spoof, but it's a satire. It's supposed to be funny. Use the word satire. It's supposed to be, you know, you're supposed to laugh at it. It's supposed to be making light of the whole (laughs) war, nuclear war stuff like that. Then it's a lot better laugh. The original. Ha, ha. Oh, no, that's the Heath Ledger Yes, one. it is. No, I think I'm going to watch that tonight. But, Because uh, everyone needs to know what movies I'm going to watch I know. when I get you, home at night. You've said that so many oh, times. Oh, no, I should watch The Wedding Singer because I bought you it yesterday bought and I didn't you watch should, it. You should watch the movie. I really should. That's a good movie. I like that movie. Um, Recommendations for other people watching this Oh, movie. yeah. You have... I say, oh, yeah, but... I feel oh, yeah. like you might have to have a certain... You have to be in tune to this sense of humor. Yes. Because it's very dry it's very and dry. dark, and you can't. It's not like they list it as a black comedy. On yeah, Wikipedia. it is. It's not. This is not a. I mean, there's some obvious stuff that's like ha ha funny, but it's like quick stuff that you have to catch. Yeah. for it to be funny. It's not like a spoof movie, like Scary Movie. No, or, any of those, airpl- or, or airplane. airplane. It's not. Please it's, don't use Scary Movie as I'm, your spoof movie. Well, I'm trying to like adhere to the modern people. No, and, say airplane. Everyone knows Airplane. And if you don't know Airplane, if you don't know Airplane, it's on Netflix. What are you doing? Stop us. I had a boyfriend in high school who's that was his favorite movie. So Airplane is a flipping amazing. I love Airplane. Those it's so brilliantly hilarious. Airplane two, on the other hand, not that great. Uh, William Shatner is the best part of Airplane two. I haven't seen Airplane two since like two thousand three. He's only in it for like ten minutes. Yeah. It's because it's it's a it's a rehash of the first one again. This mm. is there in space instead. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, um, Shank so thoughts. Yes. Shank summary. Your thingy portion. Oh, I didn't even think about it. You made some comment about the, the liquids or the bodily. Fluids. What is with this guy and bodily fluids? <laughs> that is my summary. That's good. I like that. Because truthfully, if you are gonna take that, 
that was going to go into my section. So I let you have that one. Thank you. <laughs> what is with this dude and bodily fluids? It's a weird, weird... That that general... that was one of the things that was f- like if you had gone into it thinking it was serious and then you started picking up on that that should have clued you in that, that something was not, was not quite right. It's not serious. With the serious that thing. or you just think that that guy is absolute batshit crazy, which he is, which he is. But you would think it's like oh damn it he's really crazy. That's even ter- it would make it more terrifying and would make it more depressing. He is totes cray cray. <laughs> And there's mm-hmm. your explicit tag. He's, uh, <laughs> he's totes cray-cray. He's totes cray-cray. Yes. Why are you talking in like a weird Yoda voice? I'm talking like strange love. I know. You kind of sound like Yoda. <laughs> it's because I, I, I'm like, hmm, at mm. the end of it. Um, all right. Well, let me move on to awards. Okay. And then we'll get back to your section, which will make up the rest of the episode. Pretty much. Yeah, guys. There's no stuff in Things with Jeff and One Inflation One Inflation. Nation. I watched the entire film. They only mentioned money once. One time. And it's in it's in when he's calling the White House. Yep. It's when uh, Mandrake is trying to call the White House. Yep. And he's technically mentioned, I'm 20 cents short. I didn't bother doing that yeah. one because it was part of the same yeah. sequence. But it's like, I, I have no stuff in things. Nothing. Absolutely no stuff in things for this. Because as I explain off mic, it's really hard to make up, to write stuff that's kind of funny and poking fun at the movie when, when the it's movie a itself is a satire. Yeah. Like if we watch Blazing Saddles, no way in hell could I ever make a stuff in things for that movie. Yeah, you could. I don't know. Because I think I'd be just, because I was, here's another thing. I was enjoying myself watching this movie. Yeah, so was I. I just... I only I, got like two rows of knitting done. Actually, the, I got more than that, but whatever. And the truth is, like the stuff and things is one of the things like I hate doing the most because it's it's like I have to I get distracted from the movie. I kind of oh I didn't know and, that. I'm sorry. I kind of want to just sit and watch the movie. You don't I have to do stuff and things. I, I enjoy doing it. What I might do is I might just cut it back to like the stuff that I find to be really funny. Or for watching a movie you've already seen. Yes, because they're easier for movies I've already seen too. But it's I don't and I, I apologize. Hate too much of a word, but it's it's. It distracts me too much from the film sometimes, so but we'll see what happens. Anyways, let's do the awards. Um, the film had four Oscar nominations and 16 additional awards from its okay. history. The Oscar nominations, it was only nominated for. It did not win any of the nominations. Uh, but it was nominated for Best Picture, Best okay. Actor in a Leading Role for Peter Sellers, Best Director for Stanley Kubrick, obviously, and then a Best Adapted Screenplay, because as you mentioned, it was based upon a book. Yep. And like I said, it did not win any of those awards. The uh, the what it was what it lost to that year. Yeah. For best picture was My Fair Lady. Ew! Really? For, yeah. Gross. For best director, it was the director for My Fair, Fair Lady. Lady. For best actor, he laid the loss to Rex Harrison for My, My Fair, Fair Lady. Lady. And then for best adapted screenplay, it lost to a film called Beckett. Okay. Which had uh, Elizabeth Taylor's husband. Um, uh, dude, I, uh-oh. he was in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yes. Oh my, um, Richard Burton. Thank you. Richard Burton in it. Uh, he was in that movie. I've never heard of, oh, and it also had Peter O'Toole in it. Okay. And Beckett. I've never heard or seen of Beckett, but it lost to that film. Uh, apparently Beckett was nominated for 11 Academy Awards that year. So Beckett. Um, and then finally, the film was entered into the National Film Registry in 1989, was among one of the first films picked by the American Film Institute. Or not, sorry, by the, the for, uh, was not the American Film Institutes, was picked uh, by the council for entrance into the National Film Registry. Good. So it's been in there since the get-go of the National Film Registry in 89. 
And that's all that I have for awards. Okay. Obviously, no technology. The plane was obviously a, a yeah. cardboard model plane in front of a rear projection screen or a, you know, yep. green early green screen. But you could see the strings in a couple shots. And it looks like it's made of cardboard. And it looks like, oh, like the center fuselage section looks like has it has ridges in it. Like it looks like it's just made out of a really cheap cardboard. Yeah. I love it. So that's all I have. Lindsay, please continue for the next 20 minutes about your section. <laughs> So it's not here. a, you know, 20 minute episode. <laughs> yep. I'll be over here. Okay. Chilling. Do, 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 do. Okay. So Peter Sellers improvised most of his lines. I think I heard that. Um, while shooting aerial footage over Greenland, the second unit camera crew accidentally filmed a secret U.S. military base. <laughs> Their plane was forced out and the crew was suspected of being Soviet spies. Dope. <laughs> Oops. Peter Sellers was paid $1 million, which was 55% of the film's budget. Stanley Kubrick famously quipped, I got three for the price of six. <laughs> the film led to actual changes in policy to ensure that the events depicted could never really occur in real life. See, again, I know one of those things where something that happens in a film actually affects real life. I like when stuff happens mm-hmm. like that. That's awesome. In one version of the script, aliens from outer space observed all the action. Wow. Yeah. That would have probably pushed it too that far. That would have been too far. The scene where General Turgeson trips and falls in the war room and then gets back up and resumes talking as if nothing happened really was an accident. Thank you, because that looks like it wasn't supposed to happen, but they kept it going because he cracks at the very end. Stanley Kubrick mistakenly <laughs> thought it was George C. Scott really in character, so he left it in the film. No. <laughs> The war room contains a large table of food because Stanley Kubrick intended to end the film with a custard pie fight between the Russians and the Americans. He decided to not use the footage because he found it too farcical to fit with the satirical nature of the rest of the film. The only known public screening of the pie fight scene was at the 1999 screening of this film at the London National Film Theater following Kubrick's death. George C. Scott was reputedly annoyed that Stanley Kubrick was pushing him to overact for his role. (laughs) While he vowed to never work with Kubrick again, Scott eventually saw this as one of his favorite performances, and many fans consider it to be some of his best on-screen work. I think he did an amazing job in this film. Mm -hmm. He's one of my favorite characters in the Mm -hmm. whole movie. He beats out Peter Sellers. Yes, I enjoyed him. Even as Dr. Strangelove? As Dr. Strangelove, he's ridiculously crazy. (laughs) Strangelove's glove is from Stanley Kubrick's personal collection. Peter Sellers had seen Kubrick wearing them to handle hot lights on the set and thought that they looked sinister. He wore one on his right hand, which is the one he's not under control of, Mm -hmm. to add to Strangelove's eeriness. There is a great deal of editing and cutting away shots in the sequence where Dr. Strangelove gets carried away in the war room when his out-of-control hand makes Nazi salutes and tries to strangle him, mainly to cover up the cast around him cracking up with laughter. (laughs) Despite this, Peter Bull, playing Soviet Ambassador Sadesky, can be glimpsed trying to suppress his laughter. I don't know how the hell they did it. It was funny. It was. It was. Stanley Kubrick wanted the tablecloth on the war room table to be green, so it looked like the world leaders were playing poker with the world's fate. However, this makes little sense, and the film's budget required it to be shot in black and white, so color of the tablecloth would make no difference on the final film's release. True. (laughs) Okay. Dr. Strangelove apparently suffers from agonistic apraxia. 
also known as alien hand syndrome. It is caused by damage to the corpus callosum, the nerve fibers that connect the brain's two hemispheres. Researchers at the University of Aberdeen who identified it named it Dr. Strangelove syndrome. According to Professor Sergio Della Sala, the patient slammed their hand and shout, my hand does things that I don't want it to do. I don't mean to be laughing at that condition, but that's just... It's, it's Dr. It's, Strangelove Syndrome. It's, it's hilarious. Major Kong's comment about the survival kit was originally a fella could have a pretty good weekend in Dallas with all that stuff. Dallas was overdubbed with Vegas after JFK was assassinated in Dallas, and Kong still mouths the word Dallas. Thank you, because he mouthed something different, but I couldn't tell what it was yep. that he mouthed. Okay. Has the longest title for a Best Picture nominee or winner at 13 words long. Because yeah, I suppose Lord of the Rings Return of the King is still short, isn't it? It's nuts. In the early 1960s, the B-52 was cutting-edge technology. Access to it was a matter of national security. The Pentagon refused to lend any support to the film after they read the script. Set designers reconstructed the B-52 bomber's cockpit from a single photograph that appeared in a British flying magazine. <laughs> when some Air For- Air- American Air Force personnel were invited to view the movie's B-52 cockpit, they said it was a perfect copy. Stanley Kubrick feared that Ken Adams' production design team had used illegal methods and could be investigated by the FBI. That's right. Ken Adams did the designing. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who did all the original Bond films. Uh-huh. That's because that's why the War Room looks like that. Uh-huh. The War Room looks like a Bond Bond lair. It does. It right? looks like a Bond villain lair because it's the big, tall ceilings, the angled like walls. You know what I just realized? With all this time I've had off because I'm on summer vacation, I have not cracked my Bond set. I really need to do that. I've watched one since I got it at Christmas, not yeah. including not the original, the, the new three oh, that. Yeah. I have seen already. I, I was just going to say, we should do a podcast about the Bond films. Already oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> and it's so good. And it makes me sad that they can't do it. as. It, it's nice that they can't do it as frequently because it's prolonging it. Mm-hmm. But oh my God, I wait for like months for those episodes to come. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about. Talk James, about James Bonding. James Bonding. Look it up on iTunes. With Matt Myra and, and Matt, Matt Gorley. Gorley. It's very good. They watch all of the Bond films. They're yeah. big Bond fans. This kind of do what we do to like a little extent, bit, yeah. But just more. But they've got off on tangents. Before. Oh, they, it's so fun! And they have a guest every episode, yeah. and they all watch. They yeah, they essentially do what we do. They watch the movie and then they talk about it yeah. because they're both such huge James Bond fanatics. Yes. You know, it's a little more informative than ours is. Anyway. <laughs> And yeah. also, I also still haven't read Casino Royale, and I got it for my Nook like a year ago. Tisk, tisk. I know. I just read till I can get the Vesper recipe, and that's when I stop. <laughs> <sighs> According to Pablo Fierro, not Fierro, no Fierro, Fier- no, not stop wicked that, Fierro? not Wicked okay. Fierro. <laughs> Title design. The title designer. The opening title shots were born of remarks between himself and Kubrick, wherein Pharaoh observed that all machines invented by man have a sexual aspect. In the context of the film, it made Kubrick think about the B-52s refueling in midair. Originally talking about arranging for a shot to capture that, sorry, a shoot to capture that image, Fero said that he was sure that the Air Force had been so proud of the technology that they had filmed the process from every conceivable angle. It didn't take long for him to bring back stock footage in which both men were delighted to see the aircraft involving... The aircraft involved in the process suggestively bobbing and bumping up and down and swaying in the air as they connect, transfer fuel, and then disconnect. In addition to the music instrumental on top, 
heightened the intended effect, and knowing all this makes watching the opening titles quite a different experience. Indeed, the music actually punctuates the refueling rod's eventual withdrawal from the B-52. I did not know. I didn't that. catch that at all. I almost want to go back and I know, watch maybe that. she probably rewatched that. <laughs> James Earl Jones initially thought Slim Pickens was staying in character off camera and told being until being told he wasn't putting on the character, that was just the way he always talked. <laughs> um as research, Stanley Kubrick read nearly fifty books about nuclear war. I have nothing funny to say about no, that. No, I know. <laughs> Because there's a lot of trivia, I'm kind of just, um... Oh, let's see. The U.S. government dismissed Stanley Kubrick's scenario of an accidental nuclear war as too far-fetched. However, the scene where Group Captain Mandrake is trying to get through the Pentagon with the code to recall the bombers and it doesn't and doesn't have enough change for the payphone was shown at a session of Congress. Members said it raised legitimate questions about whether crucial information can find its way to the right people during a nuclear crisis. This is James Earl Jones' film debut. Stanley Kubrick cast him after seeing him in a production of The Merchant of Venice, in which George C. Scott also appeared. <laughs> this one's General funny. Ripper's paranoia about the water fluoridation being a communist plot, which is my favorite thing in this whole movie, mm-hmm. is based on a conspiracy theory circulated by the right extreme right-wing John Birch Society in the 1950s and 60s. Uh, there's a Bob Dylan song called, I think it's called Talking John Birch Blues or something like that. Yeah. The organization, which was founded in 1958, was quite influential in conservative politics at the time, and the fluoridation is a communist plot theory, took hold in many rural areas of the United States, with some small towns going as far as to not only ban fluoridation of water, but to pass ordinances requiring the arrest and jailing of anyone who advocates it. Interesting. Peter Sellers was the first actor to be nominated for a single Academy Award for a film in which he portrayed three different characters in the same film. That's a good point, because he is playing multiple people in here, so his performance was for all of his characters combined, I think not so. for just a single character? Yeah. Interesting. Peter Sellers was also cast as Maj TJ... Major, sorry, Maj. It does say Maj because it's abbreviated. Mm-hmm. Major TJ King Kong, but he had trouble developing a Texas accent. When Sellers broke his ankle, Stanley Kubrick decided to cast another actor who naturally fit the role. John Wade never responded. Bonanza star Dan Blocker declined the role because of the script's progressive political content. And Kubrick cast Slim Pickens because of his work on One-Eyed Jacks from 1961. Pickens was not told that the movie was a comedy and was only shown the script for scenes he was in. As a result, Pickens played the role as a straight character. See, and that's exactly what they did for Airplane. Was that they got they they played the the actors played it as a straight yep. part, and that's what made it funny. I really love so Airplane. that's good. That's that's cool. We were quoting Airplane yesterday. Really? In the car. Because <laughs> you said you said something like Roger or something. Oh, yes, and Karen yes. goes, Roger, Roger. And I go, What's your vector, Victor? And then you said, Do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> and I said, you ever seen a grown man naked? It's very much so. You ever spent time in a Turkish prison? (laughs) And how old is that movie? I know. That's 19... Sorry, that might be 79, I think. You look it up while I read. The character of General Buck Turgeson, played by George C. Scott. 1980. Okay, thank you. That's what I thought it was. So it's over... 
30 years yeah. old. Was patterned after Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Curtis LeMay, who was renowned for his extreme anti-communist views and who once stated that he would not be afraid to start a nuclear war with the Soviet Union if he was elected president. Service Similarly, Brigade General Jack D. Ripper, played by Sterling Hayden, was patterned after General Thomas S. Powers, LeMay's protege and successor as Chief of the Strategic Air Command. When briefed on a RNAD, RAND proposal to limit U.S. nuclear strikes on Soviet cities at the beginning of the war, Powers responded, Restraint? Why are you so concerned with saving their lives? The whole idea is to kill the bastards. Explicit tag. I'm sorry, that's the quote. At the end of the war, if there are two Americans and one Russian, we win. (laughs) Stanley Kubrick usually gave directions to actors without cracking a smile. However, during the shooting of this film, Kubrick was laughing a good deal of the time when Peter Sellers were performing, often so hard that he brought himself to tears. Which is my favorite type of laughing. Yes. I don't do that laughing enough, but... (laughs) For me, it's like once every, what, three to six months, probably? (laughs) When you can't breathe and you're just crying. It was... Last time, it was a couple weekends ago when Colin and I were... I can't remember... No, I don't think we were eating lunch, but anyway, not important. He just randomly... Like, we were in the middle of a conversation, he just mumbled under his breath, hashtag blessed. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what did you just say? And then I just, like, collapsed on the floor. I mean, you've seen me laugh yeah. like that, where I collapse on the floor and I cannot get up laughing. I think it's been a couple of years since I've laughed that hard. It was back in high school. It was one of the first times I did it. Oh, boy. I was... It used to happen tears. to me in our kitchen. Like, my dad would say something that cracked me up. Yeah. And I would just be like... My parents knew it was bad when, like, I was, like, sit- standing, leaning against the counter and then, like, collapsed to the floor because I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, <laughs> uh, Okay. Peter Sellers was not keen on multiple takes, one of Stanley Kubrick's trademarks. Kubrick felt that Sellers' performance improved with each successive take, while Sellers couldn't understand why he was being asked to keep doing the same scene over and over. Shortly after the release of this movie, Stanley Kubrick met with Arthur C. Clarke to talk about making the proverbial good science fiction movie. During a discussion of ideas that eventually became 2001 A Space Odyssey from 1968, the two men saw what they first thought was a satellite moving in a polar orbit, but it abruptly changed direction. When Clarke suggested calling calling in a UFO report, Kubrick said, After Dr. Strangelove, the Air Force doesn't want to hear from me. (laughs) The favorite film of film critic Gene Siskel. Initially, the president was played in a slightly effeminate manner. Those scenes were later reshot to make him seem like an oasis of reason amidst all the madness. Okay. When Strangelove talks about the doomsday device, Hergeson says, Strangelove, what kind of name is that? That ain't no kraut name, is it? The reply he receives is he changed it when he became a citizen. It used to be Merk Werder Diglieb. This original name is, is a slightly altered version of the German term Merk Werdig. Yeah, Merk Werdig Lieb. Sorry, my German's really bad. Meaning, strange love. <laughs> I said when I heard it, I'm like, wait a minute, that's just an English love. translation of strange love. Because <laughs> Liebe is love. Mm-hmm. You know that if you do anything in music. Anyway, Tracy Reed, the only female seen in the film, plays per plays Turgeson's secretary, Miss Scott, who was billed in some early advertisements as Miss Foreign Affairs. This was due to her appearance as the character in the centerfold of the Playboy magazine, which is read by Major Kong in the cockpit. The magazine covering her butt is Foreign Affairs. (laughs) 
Uh, based on the novel Red Alert by Peter George and originally conceived as a tense thriller about the possibility of accidental nuclear war, Stanley Kubrick was working on the script when he realized that many scenes he had written were actually quite funny. He then brought in Terry Southern to turn the story into a satire. Among the changes were the addition of the title character and the renaming of other characters to use satirical names such as Turgeson, Kiss Off, Guano, Dissideski, and Merkin Muffley. Uh, The score for the B-52 scenes is mostly Johnny I Hardly Knew Ye, a traditional Irish anti-war song that tells the story of a broken, heavily mutilated soldier coming back from war. The last lines are, they're rolling out the guns again, but they'll never take my sons again. It is also the melody of the American Civil War song when Johnny comes marching home, which describes the celebrations that will happen when the soldiers return from war. It's also the ants go marching one by one. Hurrah, hurrah. Uh, Quick side note, yeah. the Terry Southern that you keep talking about. Yeah. You know what else he wrote? Tell me. He wrote Barbarella, which is a great, terrible sci-fi yeah. film. Yeah. Also wrote Easy Rider. Oh, I wonder why that name sounded familiar to he me. He also wrote a season of Saturday Night Live in the early 80s. You know, like from, from 1980 to 84 when it was complete like crap. crap. Jeff doesn't like Terry Southern, apparently. He wrote that portion. No, 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 no. It just helps explain why that portion of SNL was crap. Which sadly was when, like, Eddie Murphy was yeah. on it, which sucks for him. Uh, as seen in the code book, today's code on the top of the page just after the crew member finds the right codes, the action takes place on Friday the 13th, September 1963. <laughs> nice. Uh, General Turgeson is a veteran of both World War II and Korea, wearing the Army Distinguished Service Cross, the Silver Star, Legion of Merit, the Distinguished Flying Cross, and the Purple Heart, among numerous campaign medals. Filmed during the spring and summer of 1963, the first test screening of the film was scheduled for November 22nd, 1963, the day that JFK was assassinated. Nice! The producers felt that the public would not be in a mood for a black comedy so soon after a traumatic event, and yeah. the premiere was moved to late January 1964. Yeah, because that was, the, like, good chunk of the world was in mourning after Kennedy got killed. Okay, here we go. This trivia fact, um... If there are children listening to this episode, you may want to fast forward through the next couple minutes or so because... Uh, this episode has an explicit tag on it. Okay, good. <laughs> I think Jeff should just put an explicit tag yeah. on every episode regardless of whether it's explicit or not. Sound of music, we did not swear in it. No, we didn't. Nothing. Period. Are you sure? Did you re-listen to it to be sure? I, we did. I didn't say anything I else. I don't think I did, but sometimes I and don't I, realize that I do it. I edit. I did some minor editing for okay. it, but there's no swearing in that I, episode. I'm sorry. Okay. Well, it's already out at this point, so it doesn't matter. Okay. You had your explicit warning. You'll understand when I start reading this. Many of the characters have names which are double entendres or innuendos. Jack D. Ripper refers to the famous London murderer. Merkin Muffley's names refer to female parts. A Merkin is a pubic hair wig. And Muff is slang for women's pubic hair. Turgeson's first name is Buck, and Turgid is a word describing the condition of an erect penis. <laughs> the Soviet premier is Kissoff. The Soviet ambassador is named after the Marquis de Sade, who is the original sadist. And the title character is Strange Love. Okay, you can bring children back into the room now. Yeah. Uh, voted as one of the 50 greatest comedies of all time by Premiere in 2006, the 14th greatest film of all time by Entertainment Weekly, and third of the 100 greatest comedies by AFI. So crazy. That's so high up on the list. 
Uh, early titles for this project were The Edge of Doom and The Delicate Balance of Terror. See, now both those movies would have come off as being funny. Or not funny, like a serious film. I don't think those would have worked for this title or for this film. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's last black and white film. Over 10 miles of electrical cable were required was required to light up the giant screen in the war room. <laughs> um, when General Turgeson is in the war room, the notebook binder in front of him has the rather ominous title of World Targets in Megadeth. <laughs> do, 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 what if that's do, where Megadeth do. got their name? Maybe. Columbia Pictures agreed to provide financing only if Peter Sellers played at least four major roles. In their eyes, Sellers playing multiple roles was one reason Lolita from 1962 was so successful. So did that come before The Nutty Professor? What did? Lolita. Um, actually, and you know, I was going to talk about that before you, uh, uh, before we were done with the episode, because that was in 62, you said, right? And I'm pretty sure the yeah. professor was 2000, or it was 63. Yeah, 63. 2063. <laughs> it's way in the future. He was ahead of his time. Yeah, so actually, it was, um, he did it because he also did it, uh, he played three roles in The Mouse That Roared in 1959, which would have been well before... Right. You oh know, no! Jerry Lewis started doing the Night Professor and all that stuff. So I bumped it with my finger. So he really is it. one of the first people. I mean, it had been done prior, but he's probably like in our modern age. He's one of the first, like one of the main ones to start doing multiple roles in a film and a single film, like right. on purpose. That's kind of about it. Is that it? Yeah. Well. Oh, wait, no, I have one more. One more. Okay, one more and then final. One definition of the word guano is a substance substance composed chiefly of the dung of seabirds or bats, meaning Colonel Bat Guano's name can be translated into bat shit, which could also describe his reasoning with Mandrake about not wanting to shoot the Coca-Cola machine. (laughs) If this doesn't work, if you don't get on the phone, if you don't connect to the President of the United States, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. (laughs) That was funny. Guano. Yeah, it's your phone. Ah, uh, okay. Don't worry about it. Okay. Um, Not worrying about it. I'm worrying about it a little bit. All right, well, let's do Inflation Nation. One Inflation Nation! So during the sequence when Mandrake is just pretty much right before the quote you just gave, um, when he's trying to call the White House, he mentions that he needs, yes, uh, the other guy who just the quote of the coca-cola machine if uh, he had 55 General cents guano. that's right back guano um mandrake asks guano yes guano uh 55 cents sorry Zay Ventura. 55 if he yeah. had 55 cents to complete the phone call 55 cents in 1963 is the equivalent to four dollars and 26 cents nowadays it's a really freaking expensive phone call <laughs> why don't they just pull out their cell phones and give them a call i um, did not say anything like that in this movie this time <laughs> this time um, and that is all that I have for Inflation Nation. Yep, and the end. No stuff in things, because nope. as I said, if you were not going to do the bodily fluids bit, I was going to put that into my Inflation Nation, but you God, would you would the ask best, it. When he just goes on and on about bodily fluids and he, how he felt an emptiness, a lack of essence after the physical act of love. Dude had some weird... I'm like, dude, isn't that what's supposed to happen? <laughs> what's wrong with you? Oh... Uh, 
Oh, these are my shoes. So, um, I guess final thoughts regarding Doctor Strange. I really did like it. I liked it. it it's like, now that I'm processing it further and some other stuff has been pointed out to me, it is very funny. It would, it, I mean, I, I thought it was funny to begin with, but it just kind of adds to it. I thought it was a lot better than I remember it being. And I, yeah, I would definitely like to But I'm really it. glad that I watched it now that I'm older yes. and did not watch it when I was like in high school because I would not have thought it was funny. No. And like I said, I did not understand that it was supposed to be funny. I did not understand that when I watched it, and that's why I did not care for it. Right. And I haven't watched it in freaking 12, 13 years. So I just, I didn't want to see it again, but I'm glad I watched it. Now, right. like, you, like you said, having a better understanding that it was supposed to be funny. Yes. So. I honestly, um, I was just going to say it's going to be a short episode, but we're sitting at almost 35 minutes. So oh, it's a full-length yes. episode Proud even of us. without my awesome sections. Yes. It's fine. I don't need to talk. I did talk a lot. You talked a lot. Um, so we'll just wrap things up. So yeah, definitely recommend watching the movie. Yeah, I do. That's awesome. Good movie. And look at that a Kubrick film we liked. I know, but I like The Shining. I know. That's on this list. Yeah. I should have specified that. Well, Lindsay, Jeffrey, what is the next movie on our list? The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Humphrey Bogart film. Oh, good. I like Humphrey Hold on, Bogart. let's look. Let's the ah no, stop it. Well, it's from 1948. The Treasure. <laughs> I'm just gonna be Lindsay for a little bit here. Sorry, Floating. I went silent. I buffering, don't know why I went buffering, silent. Buffering, buffering, buffering. <laughs> it's doing the thing to me where, like, I try to open it. Yeah. And, like, in a moment of panic, and then it decides it's not going to work that's again anymore. When you, that's when it doesn't want to yep. work. Do you want, do you want me to read off? Uh, I mean, you can. I mean, I, you. I can just do it if it... Uh, treasure. Humphrey Bogart. Yep. Walter Houston. Yep. Uh, directed by John Houston. Also okay. written by John Houston. Okay. Uh, Fred Dobbs and Bob Curtin, two Americans searching for work in Mexico, convince an old prospector to help them mine for gold in the Sierra Madre Mountains. This is also where the line, badges, we don't need no stinking badges, comes from. Yes. Uh, classic film, really. Doesn't have a meta score, though. No, it But it's, yeah, IMDb's giving it an 8.4. 8. 8. 4 out of 10. So, should be a decent yep. film. I'm interested to see it. It's two hours. Yeah. I don't, I have never seen the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Me this neither. one I've this one I've not seen. It won three Oscars, so oh, it's got to be. Oh, I was just gonna say it's got to be decent, you know. Not not. Yeah. The what fact that John it's Houston the fact that it's do? in the top forty of the I am or of the uh, AFI list oh, doesn't mean anything. Ooh. Here's the thing. I'm di- I'm divided right now. Okay. Because J- John Houston, who directed Treasure, directed and wrote Treasure of the Sierra Madre, yeah. also wrote and directed The African Queen. Which I did not oh, care yeah. for, but he also wrote and directed The Maltese Falcon, which I love. So I'm torn now. I don't know how it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to watch then. It's going to be very interesting. I, I, I'm intrigued because, yeah, I have, like I said, I've never seen this movie. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'd be interesting. After that, we have The Best Years of Our Lives. What is that? I have never heard of that film. 1946. Great. I'm so glad we're back into a bunch of old ones. But then it's The Bridge on the River Kwai. I know. And then it's Annie Hall. And then it's Snow White. And then one of the little Goofus does. And the Godfather Part 2. And then the Colin Maltese wants Falcon. to be here for that. Which one? Godfather Part 2. Godfather Part 2. We could probably do that. That's a long movie. That's going to be a day is. long ordeal. That'll be ordering pizza. Yes. And lots of caffeine. <laughs> Stuff just... I'm not saying that the Godfather's boring by all means. We've seen There's the Godfather like multiple no times. no one in the best years of our lives, really. Oh my god, it's almost three hours long. Is it? It's two hours and 52 minutes long. Why? Because it's from 1946. Why? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, 
Courage of the Sierra Madre next week, kids. Why? Jeff Wright. What? Sorry, I got stuck. It hurts my ears. Um, it hurts your ears. It hurts my throat. Well, then don't do that. I don't know good. Um, so... <laughs> well, with that, everybody, that's the end of this episode. Now that we rambled on for a little bit. Uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yep. Yay! It's all uphill from here, kids. Yay! Okay. Mm-hmm. Good night, Radio Nahim. And good night, C.K. Dexter. Hey, then. <laughs> It's becoming more and more sing-songy every time you do Dexter it. Dexter Haven. You're going to end up having a song by the time we're okay, done with Dexter the next 38 Haven. episodes. That uh, Jimmy Stewart biography I'm reading mm-hmm. is actually pretty interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Lindsay. Jeffrey. We have 38 episodes I know. I know. I'm going to start just counting down. And we also found a list now of the 301 greatest movies of all time. Yes. As voted by people. Yes. Not like People Magazine, like you, but voted like by users. Yeah. yeah. Which it's, we might do. It's something. interesting because it's Empire, which is a British magazine. Yeah. So, so you're going to get a lot of you're going to get a lot of world films, mm-hmm. not just American. Which could be interesting. We're in discussions about that one. Nothing is set in stone yet, nope. but we're we'll talking see. about it. We are. And we already have an idea for a special episode. Yes, we do. Within like another 15 episodes yep. or so. Right after, uh, I'm assuming we're going to do it after Apocalypse now, right? Yeah, well, now you just kind of gave it away. Well, no, I didn't say what it That's was. That's true. It's all a secret. Mm. You can't fight in here. This is the war room. Mind you, I can box. Shut it down. Okay, bye, everybody. Okay, bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it down because we have to record another episode. <laughs> is it done? Is it done? We have to watch another movie and record another episode. I mean, we don't do that. We've, have we, we've done that one other time, yeah, haven't we? What time. did we do it with? That was so long. I don't know. We'll talk about it off mic. Bye. Need to hear about it. Bye. Some sunny day. Hello, Internet Dwellers. This is Jeff Bell, president of the Ghost Hat Network, here at the end of this episode to give a quick plug about some of our other exciting shows. But wait a minute, Jeff. You have other shows? Why, yes, random listener, we do. If you head over to ghosthat.net, you can find a heap of shows we produce on a semi-regular basis. Like... Super Happy Fun Time, the podcast where Colin Kirchner and myself sit one-on-one and talk movies, TV, video games, and other big things we care about. The Midnight Sleuth, a comedy detective mystery show in the style of old-time radio that follows the adventures of Midnight Sleuth and his partner, Linda Talbot, as they solve crimes, stop the bad guys, and poke fun at the source material. Famous Person Storytime, a podcast where celebrities retell their favorite nursery rhymes or fairy tales as best as they can remember it, even if that memory is completely wrong. So if you're in need of some new shows to listen to on your commute, while working out, or simply relaxing at home, be sure to head over to ghosthat.net now and subscribe to our shows. For more information about this and other projects, visit our official website at www.ghosthat.net or like us on Facebook at facebook.com ghosthat. Thank you.